And the next Bible reading today comes from Ephesians. It's chapter 3, verses 4 to 13. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. Well, good morning, friends. And may I say, Happy New Year, and may 2021 be a happier and brighter one in which God draws you even closer to himself and us to each other as we await Jesus' return. Now, I'm sure that nearly every one of us has had their fill of 2020 and is very happy to see the back of it. But in fact, 2020 can help us with today's topic of living in the present kingdom of God. You see, 2020 vision is good. And it's because you don't need any corrective glasses. And that's why it's said that hindsight is often 2020, meaning that things come into sharper focus when you tend to look back on them. And so let's see if a bit of hindsight can help us see the kingdom of God more easily. When we look back to the very beginning in Genesis, we're told that God created everything and put his governance over it. It is therefore his kingdom at that point and he is the rightful king. And I think we'll agree that even today, people who try to explain our world apart from God, its creator, still really struggle to do so with any sense of um, satisfaction. And we can also look back on, with 2020 hindsight, on John's words in the book of Revelation that say that God alone is worthy of all praise and honour because he is the one who created all things and by his will they existed and were created. The Apostle Paul also was gifted 2020 hindsight or perhaps insight into God's plan when he wrote in Ephesians 1, 4, that God the Father chose us in Christ, and this is the bit that blows me away, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his good pleasure and his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves." And, of course, the Apostle John was also gifted 2020 foresight when he saw in Revelation that the current heavens and the current earth are going to pass away 
and that God himself will create a new heaven and a new earth ruled over by his son Jesus. And it's this new heaven and this new earth spoken of in Revelation 21, that holy city, that new Jerusalem, that is the ultimate kingdom of God. That is where we should all long to be. That is where we will reign and rule with Christ for eternity. And we see in Revelation that John heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I think you'll agree that that is the place where we want to be in the ultimate kingdom of God. Now, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but it just is interesting that still so many people do not see the plans and the purposes of God. In fact, we need something even better than 2020 vision, and it's certainly not 2021 vision, right? But we need something better than 2020 vision. In fact, what we need is we need to have our spiritual eyes opened because it's only then that we clearly see God's plans and purposes. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us the truth of God's word so that we can understand God's plan, so that we can understand God's purpose, so that we can understand God's actions in our world and also so that we can see where he is ultimately leading us to. Now, Graham Goldsworthy, in um, his book, Gospel and Kingdom, shares a really great spiritual insight, setting out a very good definition for the kingdom of God. He describes it as God's chosen people, in God's place, under God's rule, or under the rule of God's anointed king, enjoying his blessings. A really nice little four-step definition of what God's kingdom looks like. And using this definition, we can easily see the prototype for God's kingdom in the Garden of Eden because we've got Adam and Eve, God's chosen people, in the garden, in God's place, walking with God in the cool of the day, under God's rule, naked but not ashamed, at one with God, each other and all creation, obviously enjoying his blessing. But this seemingly perfect vision by chapter 3 is marred by sin as Adam and Eve rebel against their king and seek to rule in their own right. Now we see elements recaptured in the physical kingdom of Israel where the people of Israel rest in the promised land with David and Solomon in charge and they are prospering at peace within and with the nations around about them. Yet we know from all of our sermons in the line of David that this seemingly idyllic page of history crumbles as both kings and their people forget the warnings of their true king, the Lord. And the physical kingdom of Israel was conquered, dismantled, and oh, how the people longed for its return while they were in exile in Babylon. And of course, the prophets spoke of a Messiah, God's anointed king, who would one day come and restore the kingdom. Isaiah called on God's people to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight his paths. And of course, in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist applies Isaiah's prophecy to Jesus. 
because he realises that in Jesus the kingdom of God has come clear, has come near. The king himself is walking the earth as a man. So John the Baptist calls on the people to repent and believe the good news and the coming kingdom which Jesus would usher in. And for those who are seeking to see the kingdom being established by Jesus, well, yes, there's the pattern of the kingdom present. You've got the king. You've got the 12 disciples mirroring the 12 tribes of Israel being called around him. You've got them walking with Jesus and learning what the kingdom of God will be like and what the kingdom priorities were. And certainly they would have been enjoying some of the blessings of living um, in close proximity to the Messiah himself. And we've got Jesus teaching them in Matthew 13, verse 45, that the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great value. The kingdom of God is something that's worth giving everything you have to obtain. And Jesus talked to them about uh, it being a mustard seed, a seed almost too small to be seen, which ultimately becomes a large bush that is home to many birds. And in the thinking of the time, the imagery here was it was going to be a mega kingdom under which all of the nations represented by the birds would be able to come and shelter. And in Luke 13, we see that it is like yeast that works through dough, something that starts small but fundamentally changes the dough and also greatly increases it in size. And in Luke 13, 24, he pictures the kingdom as being like a house where the only way in is through a narrow door. There'll be no barging in. The only way is going to be by invitation. And many would be saddened when they did not join Abraham, Isaac and Jacob on the day of feasting within. So these pictures made uh, clear for the people that the kingdom although it might have humble beginnings, although it may not be immediately apparent, although it was going uh, to be maybe difficult to even see because it's not so much a physical, there it is or there it is. It was going to be a place of incomparable uh, richness in terms of its value and importance. It was going to be growing day by day, but it wasn't going to be accessible by way of genealogy by just saying, I'm a son of Abraham. But it was only going to be accessible through an invitation from the king himself. And during his ministry, Jesus brought the kingdom of God into plain sight. But of course, even he was looking forward to that final kingdom, whose fullness was very much yet to come. In Matthew 13, 49, he says, The end of the age is coming when the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and the wicked will be thrown into a lake of fire. And he talks of his people as sheep in John 10, 27, saying that my sheep listen to me and they listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is making it clear that only his father knew the day and the hour when this final kingdom would be ushered in, in all its glory. 
and he spoke of how it would come in Matthew 24, verses 30 to 31. This ultimate kingdom would not be a physical reclaiming of earthly Jerusalem or even Israel, but would see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus would send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to another. Now let's remember that even as a man, Jesus had the right and the ability as king to come and judge and address sin, even while he was walking the earth as a man. Yet in accordance with his father's will, he chose to come as healer and saviour. Yet be there no doubt, on his return he will come as judge. And Jesus has already warned the religious leaders and zealots that not everyone who calls out Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven and that is because he knew their hearts. Rather, he was calling on those who would join him in his kingdom to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him in obedient service just as he did the will of the Father. And those who saw their place in the kingdom as being earned by good deeds, he said, many will say on that coming day, the day of judgment, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Only for Jesus to tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So I hope it's becoming clear that the kingdom of God is not about reclaiming a piece of land. It's not about doing good deeds. It's not about outward appearance of piety. Rather, it is all about the heart. Those whom God chooses are invited into the kingdom and they are loved by the king and they love and obey their king. Now, we, God's people, are encouraged to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. Obedience and service is what is to joyfully flow from this love and God's love binds his kingdom together. And that is what Jesus obediently modelled. He modelled what it is to love the Father, the King of glory, to do his will as he taught healed, ministered to the widowed and the outcast, called on the people to repent of their sins and as he died on the cross for our salvation. Yet, you see, the problem was that doing his father's will did not align with the political agenda that the Jews had set up for him. Both their hindsight, how they understood the prophets, and their vision was very far from 2020. So they did not see the Messiah who had come to save them from their sins. Rather, they were looking for this warrior king who would free them from Roman oppression. As such, the man who was meek, who associated with the wrong people, who definitely was neither a politician nor a warrior, he could not be the promised Messiah. And so we see Jesus betray him, and at Gethsemane, all of the apostles desert him. And it was because that Jesus had basically failed to deliver the physical kingdom of Israel from oppression. He had not freed their people from the Romans, and he had not returned peace to Israel. And now Jesus was dead, and many of his followers were scattered. 
So what does that say about Jesus as king and about his kingdom? Well, the first thing we need to say is that the king is not dead. For he rose and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And of his kingdom? In speaking with Pilate, Jesus does not deny he's a king, but he clearly says that his kingdom is not of this world. As such, as I said before, we are not looking for a geographic boundary or the re-establishment of Israel. Jesus knew his father has bigger things in mind. The Father's plan is for there to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so when Jesus sends his followers out into the world, it's not on a mission of military conquest, but it's rather to preach the good news to the four corners of the world, the four corners of the world from where Jesus would one day call his elect. And all those who would be saved, whose names are written in the book of life, they will enter into this coming kingdom not because of anything they've done, but by invitation, by the grace of God forgiving them as repentant sinners. And you might say, oh, sounds too good to be true. But remember, even as Jesus hung on the cross, he said to that repentant thief, today you will be with me in paradise. But right now, we who are saved find ourselves in a world where Satan still exerts authority and That's true even though, as Pete reminded us this morning, God is still sovereign. So what else would you pray but your kingdom come? What else would you pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because we long for that day when every knee will bow to the will of God and every tongue will confess his lordship. But meanwhile, we must never forget that our God is ultimately in control. Everything in creation exists only because of him and his pleasure. We must never forget that on the cross Jesus has already defeated sin and death so there is nothing more to be done to secure salvation of God's elect and indeed God's kingdom. So in that sense God, the kingdom of God is already at hand. We all know we are God's people. We know that our God is with us right now and we know that we're going to be with him in eternity we all seek to live in accordance with his will and we enjoy many blessings as part of his family now but it should be obvious that the kingdom is not yet here in all its fullness you see the church is but the promise of the coming kingdom and not the fullness of the kingdom No one can point to a church building, not even ours, and say there is the kingdom of God. Yet it is true that as we come together as God's people, the kingdom is breaking in on us. However, we are not ultimately that final place, in that final place that he's preparing for us. And whilst we might enjoy many blessings, particularly when we return to singing as we fellowship together, We are not yet enjoying all of his blessings in the place where there'll be no more sin, where there'll be no more sadness, where there'll be no more sickness, mourning or death. Commentators refer to this concept as the now but not yet. Perhaps you can think about it like this. A pregnant mother is carrying a child and her swelling belly and the ultrasound shows the heartbeat and the outline that is the promise of new birth. Yet we must still wait the day of the birth for the promise to be fulfilled. 
In the meantime, we, like the pregnant mum, will suffer discomfort, challenges and trials. But of course, we do not do this alone. Jesus made it clear that when he went back to heaven to rule at the right hand of the Father, he would send the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's role would be to live in us and guide us into all truth. The Spirit continually points the believer to Jesus as Saviour and Lord. As it says in Ephesians 1.14, when you believed, you were marked with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to his praise and glory. Here the now that the Spirit has been given to us, but he's been given as a deposit guaranteeing the not yet of the coming kingdom. We, the church of God's people, those who are already in God's possession, as we meet together around his word to praise him, to understand how to follow him more closely, to encourage one another, to seek to bring others in. Yes, we're all bringing that kingdom closer, making it more visible. We are witnessing, as we read this morning, to principalities and powers both in heaven and on earth, that Jesus is was and will forever be the only true and effective Saviour and Lord. And God will have his people. Yet in a very real sense, we're still waiting for that final day and hour that only the Father knows when his eternal kingdom will be revealed in all its glory and where finally every eye shall see and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Paul's writing to the Ephesian church, which we read, made clear the role of the church as we wait, as it demonstrates to these principalities and powers that God will have his people in his place, under, his, under the rule of his anointed king, enjoying his blessings forever. In the meantime, he called on them to be faithful, self-controlled, loving one another and using their gifts so that their daily life would win the respect of outsiders. You see, what they're doing is that they are having a kingdom focus and that they are putting in place the kingdom priorities. And we're called to do exactly that today. And how do we best do that? Well, Hebrews encourages us to have 2020 focus on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Because as we focus on our king, his will and his priorities, surely we will not miss his kingdom. And the best way to keep our focus is to know God's word. And that's most easily done by coming to church, by going to Bible study and by reading his word for yourself. So as I finish up, I want to encourage you as we start the new year to consider those words of Hebrews and not giving up the habit of meeting together as many are doing and encouraging all of us, as it is sensible to do, and as um, the COVID crisis passes, to consider coming back to church. I want to encourage those who are just thinking about using the podcast as a convenient alternative to have a think about saying, is it sensible for me to come back to church and fellowship with our brothers and sisters? What is sensible for you, what is right for you, is the the judgment point here, but can I encourage you to think about what it is to fellowship with God's people? Also too, can I encourage you 
to have a think about signing up to a Bible study this year so that we could have all of our church in a Bible study group. Not because you must, but because you need to. Because only in a Bible study is there time to have the things that are talked about in sermons explained in depth, to ask the questions and to ensure understanding. Only in growth groups is there that opportunity to really get to know fellow Christians in a way where you can be supported by them and they can be encouraged um, and supported as well. Now, it might be easy or difficult for you to have a look back on 2020 and reflect on what you've learned. And it might be easy or difficult to see how 2020 might have changed you or others around about you. But can I challenge you to have a think about these issues? Where is my focus? Is it on living to please God or please myself? Where is my focus? Is it on loving my neighbour <coughs> and loving one another in my church family and community? Is my focus on living a life that wins respect from outsiders and which is faith, a faithful witness, which may usher them into the kingdom? Can I encourage others and seek to build them up, just as Paul encouraged the early churches? You see, these are the kingdom priorities and this is what it means to live rightly in the current kingdom of God. Yes, God's kingdom is all around us and in fact it's easily taken for granted because it's so big, because it's everything. Yet even though God is still in control, our current world is marred by sin. This is the place though where God's people must live, serve, suffer and persevere but also rejoice while we await what is to come. The new heaven and the new earth awaits and those who God calls will come into his eternal kingdom and sit down at the marriage feast of Christ and the church and there'll be no more sin, no more darkness, no more suffering and we will reign with him forever and ever. The words of Revelation 22.17 express our longing for that day. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Amen.